Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Pillar Church. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you are uh, visiting for the first time uh, or, or just new here, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Um, if you don't mind, before you leave, fill out that bottom portion of that bulletin. Uh, fill it out. Throw it in the black box as you're walking out today. Uh, there are connect cards on the back table also. Um, so, but we would just, if, if, we, if you haven't met one of the pastors, we would love to meet you. Uh, this morning, we will continue our slow walk through the book of, of 1 Peter. Um, been, been going through this book for about uh, six, seven months now, slowly. And we are now in chapter two of 1 Peter, if you want to make your way there. If you don't have a physical Bible, just go on your phone. And, uh, and find it there. Uh, we don't mind that. If you start giggling during the sermon, we know you are on TikTok. So, <laughs> but we do have paperback Bibles in the back if you, if you do uh, want to stay away from that temptation. Um, this morning we'll continue. Uh, and we're looking, we'll be looking primarily at uh, chapter 2, um, verses 18 through 25. Uh, where's Lee? I actually do need that water if you don't mind. I'm sorry, man. Um, it, so let's uh, go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump right in. Lord, what a wonderful opportunity we possess this morning to hear from you corporately. Many, many of us have heard from you privately through prayer and daily Bible reading, but this morning we get to learn and grow together listening to your word. Thank you, Lord, for this special time. We commit and submit ourselves right now to you, Lord. We come to you expecting of your spirit's power to give us insight and understand like only you can make us understand. Shine light in the dark areas of our lives that we would see our sin and then confess. Let us hear from you so loud and so clear in areas that sin has drowned out your truth. Break chains and knock down walls that have kept us from experiencing you in the fullest. God, thank you for this great mercy. Thank you for this profound grace today. We look forward to it as you guide us, as you guide me in proclaiming your truth from your word. Oh God, I need you now. Just as I've, I've needed you all week in preparing this message, Holy Spirit, speak to me and through me. Amen. I started feeling it. As soon as I started talking, I was like, wow, that's going to get bad. Um, man, 1 Peter. Up to this point, we have seen in this letter from, first, uh, from Peter that he is concerned about them being discouraged from unjust suffering. From some contextual clues, we see the text 
this suffering is coming from various places. Some of it is coming from a government that is in direct opposition to Jesus' followers. A government that says that the emperor is God and you should worship him. Some, so some are suffering, our persecution is, is coming because, as you can imagine, if Christians believe that Jesus is God and they're saying the emperor is God, there is a strong conflict here. But this is not to say that Christianity in this time was illegal. Christianity was one of many religions that was practices, practiced in this time. But Christianity was in direct opposition to Roman or emperor worship. Uh, more specifically, a lot of the Christians in this time felt the persecution from their own families. If you can imagine that, that maybe a son or a daughter became a Christian in, in this time after Jesus' death, the whole patriarchal system was, 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 was around gods that they served on maybe a weekly basis or a daily basis. And now this son or daughter who, who now is a Christian is not participating in family worship. So they're being ostracized. They've been pushed out of the whole family. Everything that they, 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 they held on to support them financially, you know, emotionally, whatever it was, they were now pushed out. Maybe, maybe they lost their inheritance because of this. Maybe it's a, a firstborn son that all of a sudden becomes a Christian. He loses his entire inheritance. And this is maybe some of the reason that we, we see the word alien or stranger or foreigner. Because some of them have been pushed out of their homes or pushed out of their towns because of the persecution. The workplace is now proving more difficult because they're Christians. When lying and cheating are forms of ungodly rituals, they were normal or now practice, they cannot do these things. And so now there's conflict with their employee or their employer. This is the same Jesus that they hated and killed when uh, he was on earth. They hated Jesus. And Jesus warned them, they will hate you too. And so Peter is wanting to encourage them in this time. So Peter writes this letter to remind them that this persecution is common to a, your faith in Christ. This is what is going to happen as you walk with me, as you trust me. In fact, Peter begins the letter by describing their new birth. He says uh, that, that plays itself out in their new hope being unlike their previous hope. This new hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This new hope is so remarkable that it makes it the short-term suffering that they're facing right now, it makes it worth it. The glory that they can count on far outweighs the sufferings that they're going to face or they're facing right now. But not only that, Peter reminds them that the suffering they face is actually the means by which they will know God more. The suffering will produce the character that glorifies God and their souls truly 
going to be fulfilled in suffering. Peter's encouragement had less to do with relief from suffering and more to do in remembering who they are in Christ. And the promise of the resurrection to eternal life with Jesus. Now in chapter two, in chapter two, the encouragement went from enduring to now doubling down, basically. He's asking them to continue in the faith, even in the midst of this pressure that is coming at them. Even in the midst of losing their jobs and being pushed out of their homes and being persecuted maybe in in social arenas. Now they're being persecuted even more. And, and, And Peter says, continue in the faith. The major theme has been to remember that they're aliens or exiles on the earth. They're foreigners here on earth whose true home is heaven for eternity. 1 Peter 2.11 is basically the crux of the, uh, of the main theme of this whole 1 Peter. It says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. He wants them to know that though the persecutors want to, them to feel shame from their persecution, he wants them to feel like God is not there. He's not with you. He's not for you. He is not. He does not have your back. Do you feel the persecution? But actually, in 1 Peter 2, it says that those who have not trusted in Christ will feel the shame because one day they will realize that Jesus is actually their judge. The one that they killed is actually their judge. Now, Peter launches into a message of submission now. Wow. I I don't I mean, Pastor Canaan knows how much. How much I've been been talking about this particular passage for the last two months. Like I'm I'm not even thinking about the next sermon. I'm thinking about this passage because all of a sudden we deal with two things. We deal with slaves and we deal with submission. These are not, these will get you canceled. Those two topics will get you canceled. He he launches into two the message of submission to different types of authority. In the last message we talked about in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, Peter began to remind them that every human authority has actually been put in place by God and that they can entrust themselves to God as they submit to the emperor that hated them. They could submit to ungodly authority by honoring them with obedience. He tells them to submit as people free from the bondage of sinful, ungodly behavior, but submit as free people with uh, with honoring them as valuable, even though they are ungodly leaders. Today, we come to a portion of scripture that is controversial because now Peter tells slaves to submit to their masters. This is triggering for us because we live on the backside of a transatlantic slave trade. We live on this side of a Jim Crow laws. We, we live on this side of slaves being brutalized, being, being treated as cattle for 400 years. And so now when we see this 
this word slave now, we're, it triggers something in us. It triggers a, a, a remembrance of, our, of maybe something we read or something we saw, some pictures. My cousin Terry Robinson on Instagram, I, I read this. She wasn't particularly talking about this, but I, I felt like it, it brought up some of the emotion that happens, especially from black Americans here, when they read this particular passage, 218. She says, Africans were, 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 were chained to other human bodies for several months in the bottom of a disease-infested ship during the Middle Passage, forced to lose their language, customs, and traditions, picked up the language as best they could while working free of charge from sunup to sundown as they watched babies, their babies, sold from out of their arms and women, men, raped by ruthless slave owners and their wives. Took other people's last names, had, had no birth certificate, no heritage of any kind, braved the Underground Railroad, survived the Civil War and Reconstruction to enter into sharecropping. Learned to read and write out of sheer will and determination, faced the burning cross of the KKK, daily views of black bodies swinging from ropes hung on trees, fought in world wars as soldiers only to return to America as boys. Marched in Birmingham, hosed in Selma, jailed in Wilmington, assassinated in Memphis, King was, segregated in the South, segregated in the North, ignored in history books, stereotyped in Hollywood. You say, what has this got to do? It's like, guys, this is what black Americans deal with when they see a passage like this. This is not a fun passage for us to look at as black Americans. And it triggers something in us. So when we hear slaves obey their masters, many black people think about slavery and the repercussions of it. This passage is extremely triggering. After a few weeks of studying this passage and many others that, that use this word slave or, or slavery, I have seen how vastly different this slavery was than American slavery. In fact, some of the scholars are confused why translators are still using the word slave in this particular passage. They believe Paul Copan, the author of Is God a Moral Monster, deals with some of these issues in detail. He, he is of the opinion that because of American history of slavery, this only misleads the reader at first glance without historical context. But this is not to say that this slavery in Greek or Roman period was all good. It's not my point. It's just not the same. It's not the same. In fact, some of the slavery in this time was brutal under cruel masters. Rather than taking a deep dive into this, I want to point out the major differences and a few contextual matters that will help us read this particular passage without, without tagging some false ideas to this passage when we read it. First of all, we need to know that over 50% of the population were slaves in, Rome, in the Roman world. And over 35% of them are former slaves 
So most of this economic, uh, of, of, their, of, of the way they lived was through slave, through hiring themselves out to, to a master. So why? Why is this so hard? It, it, it was because slavery was a means by which the society used to pay off debt. Many times the debt was either owed to a family member or somebody else, and the family member would contract them out, and they would pay the debt. This is the way poor people at times would, would sometimes live better than free people because, because of, of, of their contract and their and a master that was good and accepted them into their family. So I got seven, seven things that show clear difference and, and, and make us realize that this is a different word. This is a different context. So here's the first difference. The slavery that Peter is speaking about in this passage was most of the time voluntary. American slavery was forced. Two, it was contractual because it was beneficial for both parties. American slave trade benefited only one side. Three, Roman slaves, the Roman slaves had professions like doctor, carpentry, blacksmith. Some of the slaves were in charge of teaching their masters and their families. American slavery was stripped of their dignity. It was illegal for them to learn how to read or write in fear that they would read the Bible and see that God's message in Jesus is a message of freedom. In fact, I saw the museum in Washington, D.C. hold some of the actual Bibles they used to teach slaves. These Bibles had 90% of the Old Testament taken out. This can't be the same slavery, 90%. If you've got to take 90% out of the Bible out of the Old Testament, this, this is not the same slavery. And 50% of the New Testament taken out. It wouldn't have been good for business for them to read in Exodus 21, death is the punishment for kidnapping. That couldn't have been good for business. If you sell a person, you kidnap, or if you are caught with that person, the penalty is death. I am assuming this was taken out also. The exodus of the Hebrew people was probably not in the Bible, in this particular Bible. American slavery was so vastly different that 90% of the Old Testament had to be taken out. Four, many slaves in the Greek Old Roman world lived better than, than many free people. American slavery, this was not the case. Black slaves lived more like animals with poor living conditions and no medical attention. Five. Slaves in biblical times, though legally owned by their masters, had regulations that protected them from brutal masters. American slavery had no rights and were like cattle that could be used and abused the way the master saw fit. These are two different things. The slavery that Peter was speaking into was not racialized at all. This was not a, a, a racial type slavery. Any person could voluntarily give themselves to another and many did to survive. They were treated like family members and at times they were family members. American slavery was racialized. 
it was taught to whites and blacks that Africans were no more than cattle that could talk. It was racialized. Seven, last one. In biblical times, slaves, no matter the contract, will be released after six years. American slavery was perpetual. Not only was that person a slave, but the next generation was made slave. I hope this is enough to understand that the slavery that Peter is speaking of is far different from where our minds go naturally as post-transatlantic slave trade, post-KKK, post-Jim Crow readers. Understand that God does not condone slavery as we know it on this side of American history. Neither does God condone slavery in biblical times, honestly. He doesn't condone this. When Peter is writing, he's not writing to tell Roman Empire, hey, this is how you should govern your people. This is not his point in, in writing this. Peter is simply speaking into a society that is already established. Peter knew nothing else but this type of life for these people. The goal you will see for the Christian is not for them to gain their freedom, but to know how to live with a cruel master. What we have to realize when we're reading the Bible, there is not always a direct parallel. We look for direct parallels. We're like, oh, this means we want to see a direct parallel. There's not always a direct parallel here. In 2020, what year are we in? Yeah. Uh. So what do we do? We take the principles that Peter talked about and we relate them to our lives today. The closest thing we have to this is the employer-employee relationship. Why take this much time on this point? It's, it's important for us here. It's important. If I was preaching somewhere else, maybe in another country, maybe I wouldn't spend this much time on it, but it's pretty important for us. This is a major stumbling block for many people, and no matter how much you share context with, with people, 18 and 1900 American slavery was so bad that the mention of slaves without condemning it, it seems like condoning it. The sl this slavery is simply not the same thing and should not be viewed the same at all. Why well, wouldn't God just make it clear? Thou shalt not own a person. How'd that work out with thou shalt not steal? How'd that work out with thou shalt not kill? There's a larger principle here and a more important one. There's a biblical truth that holds more weight against this practice like America. Uh, uh, that holds more weight is Genesis 1, 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. We're all image bearers of God. That's enough. That's enough. 1 Peter 2, 18 and 25, we finally get to the text. Household slaves, household slaves. 
Let me just stop there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back and read the whole thing. But household slaves here is actually, I'm, I'm a, don't, don't get me, Calvin, Okatai. This is, in verse 18, this is what is used here for slave or servant. Some of your Bibles may say servant, some of them say slave. But the main word that is used, the Greek word is used in, in, in most of them is doulos. And we see that in verse 16. And this is talking about someone uh, that is, that they're owned by someone else. And this usually is referred to when God is talking about us. First uh, Corinthians 6.20 is a picture of this. You are bought at a price. <laughs> Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You're not your own, right? We use this in the context uh, of us being God's slave, and this has no other meaning other than ownership of a person. This is slave, no rights, no authority. Uh, a person has authority over another. The beauty of this is that God, our master, calls us his sons. He calls us his daughters, and he calls us, he calls us friend. He calls us heirs to the kingdom here in first, in, in first, uh, first chapter of, Peter, uh, of first Peter. He calls us heirs, and we have an inheritance. We need not be afraid of this translation either. Also because it communicates our relationship to him. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if because of consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Verse 21, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no, one, no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I'm going to stop there. Household slaves, submit your to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also the cruel. For it brings favor if, favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. Suffering, this is four things that I, I just want to bring out in this. Suffering brings favor when we are conscious of God. Again, suffering brings favor when we're conscious of God. And, and, and then I asked the question, why? And this is the second one. Why? You were called to suffer just as Christ gives the example. And the third one, entrust yourself to God rather than your cruel boss. 
4. Not only our example, not only is Jesus our example, but he's our savior. First one, suffering brings favor when we're conscious of God. Consciousness of God. The key factor of why God is pleased with us or it brings credit or favor with God is because our purpose behind our enduring, the reason we endure is because of our consciousness of God, our desire to please him. Our desire to know him. And so in the moment of suffering, we, we, we were thinking about him, how to please him. That's our heart behind it. God in his mysterious love and care for us uses cruel masters to reward us with himself. Hebrews 11.6, now without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. It's in the moment of our consciousness, our faith in God in the midst of this cruel suffering that we gain favor with God. Because we're enduring it because of God, our desire to please him and know him. He grants favor to the one who is conscious of him. Favor. I'm not sure if you understand that favor is what we need. We don't necessarily need more money. We need favor. We don't necessarily need more friendships. We need favor in the friendships that we have. We don't necessarily need more stuff. We need favor. We don't necessarily need another job. We need favor in the job that we have. We want to please God. We want to know him. We want to honor him in our suffering. That's just something about a man or a woman who has, who has endured in suffering. Something about their, their deep devotion to him because of their experience under a cruel boss. It's something about the slaves' songs that they sang that were deep and passionate and, and beyond worldly values. It was so deep. It was because they endured as believers under a cruel master. Something about that interaction that God in his, in his love, in his just mysterious ways, he uses cruel masters to, 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 to make us know him more. The favor does not become, uh, come because you endure suffering. That's not the reason it comes. It comes when you endure it with God as the focus. This is not, this is no, there's no favor in being lazy at, on your job. There, and the boss docks your pay or fires you or tells you off in front of people and embarrasses you. There's no favor in that. It is interesting that Peter is super clear on this point, that a person who deserves it is not who he's talking about. Sometimes as Christians, we, we, we have this kind of, holier denial around the, the, the unbeliever, that we're, we're better than them. And, and, and when they're cruel or ungodly, we feel like we're, we're better than them. And actually, we have been saved 
by grace, through faith. They are in need of the same Savior as us. And so in the midst of our, 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 our working, as we work with our employer, understand that we are to honor them as God has called us to. Is it possible that we tell people sometimes to quit jobs because of their cruel boss? And it was actually God's will for you to stay and, and feed your family under that, in that job? Is it possible? Rather than quitting when we don't like the authority, figure out if this is what God wants in this moment. Understand that this is how God has has pressed forth the church through suffering. If the church ran every single time, they ran several times, but if the church ran every single time, Pillar Church wouldn't be here today. Do we, do we run at the first sign of a boss being unruly or ungodly or disrespectful to us? That's what we tell our friends sometimes. And that's what we tell, I deserve better than this. Talk to God about that. Actually, let's look at Jesus' example. We'll look at that in a second, but let's think on how he saved the world. It was through unjust suffering. Why? He said that we would suffer like him. That experience could be the thing you need to remember when you start your own business. You need that experience of that ungodly, cruel boss. So you remember not to be that. What Peter tells them is that you must continue to serve in the capacity, submitting to them and giving your best effort no matter how they treat you. That's hard to hear, but that's God's word. For you were called to this, verse 21 say, you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to him who judges. You were called to suffer just as Christ's example. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. Matthew 10, 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution is a normative way of Christianity. This is a normative thing that, that, that Christ tells us to be ready for. So when we, when we visit it or when we feel it in the workplace, this is nothing new. Acts 5.41, it says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. I always pondered, what did that mean? They're rejoicing because they were suffering? It's because 
This is what he's called us to, it says in verse 21. He's called us specifically to this. So why do we run at the first sign of suffering as American Christians? This can't be God's will, we say. We may need to rethink our rationale with that. All right, as a disclaimer. If we're being sexually molested, we're being abused physically, you need to get out of there. We need to get to our authority, and we need to get out of there. This is not what Peter's talking about. He's not talking about this type of cruelty. If this is what we have been called to, don't be so quick to leave a situation that you just don't feel comfortable in. Ask God about it. If you're not being physically abused, or you actually have the opportunity to change that person's mind about Christianity. Listen, you have that opportunity, right? If you leave, you don't have that opportunity. But get me, I'm not telling you that's your goal, is to change your minds. That's not my point, because our goal is what? God consciousness, God focus. But in the midst of it, we can change a non-believer's mind because of our godly behavior. Verse 23, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Entrust yourself. This is, this is what I put. Entrust yourself to God rather than our cruel boss. So when Peter's saying to, to to stay in the situation and to honor him and to submit to him, he's saying actually to entrust yourself to God in that moment. Paul, before going into Jerusalem, uh, and he knew he would be bound because of a, a dream that somebody else had, he went and he entrusted himself even though he knew he would be killed or persecuted when he went back. He entrusted himself in that moment. Uh, we just read in our CBR the, 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 the part where uh, Laban is, is, is holding Jacob, or um, yeah, holding Jacob for f- almost 14 years. Um, in those moments, Jacob entrusted himself not to Laban in those 14 years that he tricked him, or he would have left. But he was entrusting himself that this is God's will that I be here. I don't know if y'all caught that in that reading. He entrusted himself to God in that moment, in that time. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they didn't trust the fire wasn't going to burn them, right? If you heard the story before, they said, if God does, he said, I, I'm, I'm not going to bow down to the emperor. I'm not going to bow down. If God saves us, hallelujah. If God doesn't, hallelujah. In that moment, you're not entrusting yourself to, for the persecution to stop. You're entrusting yourself that God knows better and he's good in that moment. You're entrusting yourself to him. When we suffer under this type of situation, we are not uh, to trust that person will change, but we're entrusting that God has us in his hands. 
Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Not only our example, right, but our savior. This is a key point. Not only did he set an example we should follow, but he shows us this is how God has chosen to fulfill his will through suffering through suffering unjustly. The most important act in human history was carried out through injustice. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. They said, save yourself, Jesus. You saved others, come down from the cross. He is not just our example. He is our savior. He says, I am not coming down from the cross. Pilate. Pilate says to Jesus, why aren't you saying anything? I can save you in this moment. Jesus said, you don't have any authority unless God gives it to you. Jesus said, no one takes my life, but I offer it and I give it because it is God's will that I die. Eric. It is God's will that I die for Linda. It is God's will that I die for Annie Carson. It is God's will that I stay here and endure unjust suffering for the sins of the world. No, I'm not coming down. I'm not quitting. I will finish what I came to do no matter what I face. Forgive them, he says, Jesus says. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Yes, he is the example, but he's also our Savior. He's also our Savior. If this morning he is, if if you've been following him only as your example, I want you to take the next step and follow him as your Lord. You can do that this morning. You can do that right now, in this moment. Come. Come and surrender yourself to him as Lord. Not just following the church ways, not just following the good behavior that you think Christianity should be. But surrendering to him as Savior, Lord and Savior of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for setting the example for us. But but not only setting the example for us, but dying for us. God, I pray for any who are here this morning, right now, in their seat, meet them right now in their seat as they pray and ask you to make 
you Lord and Savior of their life. Confessing that they are sinners and they are in need of a Savior right now in their seats. As they confess, God, meet them there, God. Let them know that they're loved and cared for. God, that you are enough. That you see their suffering. You see their pain. You see their issues. I pray that you would meet them right now. And they, that they, in this moment, would confess you as Lord. They would say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to, to wash my sins away, that I would be yours. God, I pray all around this room that, that we would just confess our need for you in Christ. It's asking you to be our Savior. Not begging you, because there's no begging. You sent Jesus that we would just have to place our trust in you. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you did this morning in our hearts and minds. Thank you for what you taught us and showed us, God. Thank you for what you're going to continue to show us this morning and throughout this day and throughout this week about this passage and about submitting, about enduring under injustice. Continue to move in our hearts, God. We thank you and love you. In Jesus' name.